Section 7 of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston, A Story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, by James Otis. Section 7. Many New Kinds of Food. There is little need for me to say that we had lobsters in abundance, and of such enormous size, that one was put to it to lift them. I have heard it said, that twenty-pound weight was not unusual, and whosoever might could catch, in traps made for the purpose, all the lobsters he would. As for other fish, I cannot set down on one page of this paper the many kinds with which the housewife might provide herself for a trifling sum of money. We often had eels roasted, fried, or boiled, because of father's being very fond of them, and mother sometimes stuffed them with nutmegs and cloves, making a dish which was not to my liking, for it was hot to the tongue. Some of the good wives in Salem had shown my mother how to prepare nossump, which those who first came to Salem learned from the Indians how to make. It is nothing but corn beaten into small pieces, and boiled until soft, after which it is eaten, hot or cold, with milk or butter. Newkick is to my mind more of a dainty than a substantial food, and yet father declares that on a very small quantity of it, say three great spoonfuls a day, a man may travel or work without loss of strength. It is made by parching the Indian corn in hot ashes, and then beating it to a powder. Save for the flavor lent to it by the roasting, I can see no difference between Newkick and the meal made from the ground corn. Mother makes whip-pot of oatmeal, milk, sugar, and spice, which is much to my taste, although father declares it is not unlike oatmeal porridge, such as is eaten in some parts of England. But it hardly seems to me possible— because of one's not putting sugar and spice into porridge. We often have bread made of pumpkins boiled soft, and mixed with a meal from Indian corn, and this father much prefers to the bread of rye with the meal of corn. But the manner of cooking pumpkins, most to my liking, is to cut them into small pieces, when they are ripe, and stew during one whole clay upon a fire, adding fresh bits of pumpkin as the must softens, if this be steamed enough, it will look much like unto baked apples, and dressed with a little vinegar and ginger, is to me a most tempting rarity. But we do not often have it upon the table, because of so much labor being needed to prepare it. Yock egg is a pudding of which I am exceedingly fond, and yet it is made of a meal from the same Indian corn that supplies the people hereabout with so much of their food. It is boiled in milk and chocolate, sweetened to suit one's taste after being put on the table, and while to English people, who are not accustomed to all the uses which we make of this wheat, it may not sound especially inviting, it most truly is a toothsome dainty. The cost of setting one's table here is not great as compared with that in England, for we may get a quart of milk by paying a penny, or a dozen fat pigeons, in the season, for three pence, while father has more than once bought wild turkeys, to the weight of thirty pounds, for two shillings, and wild geese are worth but eight pence. THE SUPPLY OF FOOD 
The season had come when, if we had been in England, the people would have been gathering the harvest. But here we had none, having come so late in the year that there was no time to plant, and consequently we had no crops. I had never before realized how necessary it is for people that the earth shall yield in abundance. But I came to know it now right well through hearing father, as he talked with mother regarding the fears which the chief men of the colony had concerning the supply of food. Of course, girls such as Susan and I would not have been likely to learn anything of the kind, save that matters had come to such a pass as made the situation serious, in which case it was no more than natural we should hear our parents talking about it. It seems, from what I learned, that a portion of the provisions brought from England were spoiled during the voyage, and also that many of our people had taken with them no more than enough to sustain life for a month or two, believing that in this new world food of all kinds would be found in abundance. Then again, many had bartered provisions, which they should have kept for the winter use, with the Indians in exchange for beaver skins, thinking thereby to make much money. So general had this traffic become, that early in September the governor gave strict orders against it, and it was also ordered that no person in the town be allowed to carry out therefrom anything eatable. But yet the store of food grew smaller and smaller, for there were many mouths to feed, and it seemed as if the children were more often hungry because of knowing that there was little to be had. Susan reminded me of what she was pleased to call the omen, when it was as if the first of our duties in the new world had been to bury two members of the company, and as the days wore on, I began really to believe it a sin to harbor such thoughts. As it had been in Charlestown, so did it come to be here in Boston, when the rains of autumn set in. Many of the dwellings had not been built with due regard to sheltering those who were to live therein and because of the dampness, although mother says it was owing quite as well to the homesickness and gloom which came upon us when the leaves in the forest turned brown, and yellow, and golden, in token of the dying year, the people sickened. However it was, much of sickness prevailed among us in Boston, until the tithe came when my father and mother, to both of whom God had allowed good health, were absent from home day after day, nursing those of our neighbors who were unable to aid themselves. THE SAILING OF THE LION It seemed at this time as if the Lord had set his face upon the rearing of a nation in this new land, which he had given to the brown men for their homes, and Susan and I were not the only ones who came to believe we were offering him in some way by thus having come here. Thus Governor Winthrop caused it to be known throughout the town that he had hired Captain Pierce of the ship Lion, which was then in Salem Harbor, to go with all haste to the nearest town in England, there to get for us as much of food as could be bought. This news cheered the people somewhat, for now was the season when the winds blew strong, and it was believed the ship would have speedy passage. Indeed, some of the women declared she must return before the middle of October and said so much concerning such possibility, that in time they came to believe it true. Therefore, when the month of October had nearly passed, their disappointment was great, and they were more despondent than at first. 
the famine. Each day saw the store of provisions in the town grow smaller. Every family husbanded that which could be eaten, with greatest care, putting no more on the table than was absolutely necessary for a single meal, and those things which we had considered dainties were no longer prepared. Then came the angel of death, and man after man, woman after woman, laid themselves down to die, not from being starved, but so Governor Winthrop declared, from having sickened through scurvy, which had come upon them during the voyage, after which, falling into discontent and giving way to homesickness, they no longer struggled to live. Before October had come to an end, food was so scarce in Boston that the poor people had nothing save acorns, clams, and mussels to eat. During the summer it had seemed as if the sea were actually filled with fish. And yet now, when every boat that could be found in the town and nearby had been sent out, it was difficult for our men to take even fifty pounds weight in a day. As Susan said, even the fish forsook us, as the clams and mussels would have done had they legs or fins. The fowls of the forest also appeared to have departed, and by November the most any family could boast of was meal boiled in salt and water. In more happy days I would have turned up my nose at such food, and yet now it was likened to some sweet morsel, for so scanty had our store become that my mother would cook for each meal no more than half as much as we could have eaten. I have heard father say that for a bushel of flour which had been brought from England, he paid in those dark days fourteen shillings, and there was so little of it even at such price, that mother saved what store we had that it might be made into gruel, or something dainty which the sick could keep upon their stomachs. THE SEARCH FOR FOOD then it was that our penance was made ready for a voyage, and with five of the strongest men on board, was sent along the coast to trade with those Indians who called themselves Narragansetts, taking with them everything in the way of trinkets which was in the general store, or could be gathered up from among the housewives. Great was our rejoicing five days later, when the men came back, bringing with them a hundred bushels of Indian corn. This seemed like a large amount of food, and yet, so many were the mouths to be fed from it, it was, so father said, scarce enough to hold life in our bodies three days, if so be it had been divided equally among all. Father told us that three men, who were of the poorer people, had walked all the way from Boston town to Plymouth, but even there, where a harvest had been gathered, they could get no more than one half bushel of meal made from Indian corn. It was a time of famine, such as I pray God we may never know again. In my home, until these dreary days, there had been no scarcity of food, and yet again and again did I save a crust of rye bread, thinking it a dainty to be nibbled upon slowly, so that I might have longer the pleasure of eating. THE STARVATION TIME It was as if the ship Lion, on whose return a few weeks before we had counted so hopefully, was gone, never to come back. Even the children watched the direction of the winds, saying on this day that it was a favoring one if the Lion were on her course for Boston, and on the morrow, morning, because the breeze being against her. Yet she came not, 
nor did we hear aught concerning her, or any other from the world beyond us. We were alone in what was much the same as a wilderness, and all those around upon whom we had counted to aid us in time of distress were in nearly the same dismal straits as were we. Even the Indians declared that they were hard-pressed for something to eat, and more than once did they come in twos or in threes to beg from us, who were starving, something that could be eaten. Susan and I, as we sat clasped in each other's arms, hungry and pining for the home overseas which we had left, came to fancy that the famine which held possession of the land was likened to some terrible monster who hung above us as a cloud, settling slowly but surely day after day, until the hour would come when his terrible fangs would be securely fastened upon us. During the month of January, the deaths, through scurvy, if that indeed were the cause, grew less. But all believed that in the stead of being removed by disease, our people were slowly perishing from starvation. All the food in Boston was brought together and portioned out, so that no one, whether he had of money or was penniless, should suffer more than another. And yet, again and again, in the night, have I been awakened by the gnawing of hunger in my stomach. Governor Winthrop appointed a day on which we should all fast and pray, as if indeed we had been doing other than fasting throughout the long, dreary winter. On this day every man, woman, and child in Boston town was to spend his or her time in praying to the Lord to deliver us from our affliction. We no longer hoped for the coming of the lion. Surely she must have been destroyed by the tempest. Otherwise had we seen her before this for nearly five months had gone by since she left Salem Harbor. End of Section 7